John chapter 8. Hey, if you're with us for the first time and you have a device, uh, you can go to the ESV version and go to John 8. Uh, if, again, if this is your first time as well, my name is Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to be here with you. Great to have you with us in the warehouse this morning. John 8. We are just continuing uh, through the Gospel of John. We've been just immersed uh, in these weeks with uh, disputes that Jesus is having with the religious leaders of his day and what they do and what we learn as we engage, as Jesus is engaging, is that reali we realize that a lot of the disputes that these religious leaders have, if we're honest, are a lot of the disputes that surface in our hearts towards the Lord. And so it's really helpful for us as we see the wise ways and, the, and obviously the ultimately completely altogether truthful way that Jesus deals with these leaders and it helps surface things in our own hearts. It helps surface pockets of unbelief uh, in our own hearts because we all have those pockets and we don't wanna just sort of back away from some of the complexities that those pockets produce in us, but we wanna hit those things head on. And that's what we're gonna be looking at today as we pick, up, pick back up in John chapter eight, verse 12. I'm gonna just start reading. It said, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. Verse 17, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Verse 20, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I am going, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is the Lord's word for us today. For us to believe Jesus requires illumination. 
for you and I to believe the words that Jesus has spoken through his word, for us to embrace that, for us to move from this place of unbelief to belief, and a lot of times being kind of lodged somewhere in between because we're human beings, um, requires illumination. It's like God needs to put a light bulb of truth in our hearts and flip the switch, except this light bulb is the brightest light that has ever existed in the world and his name is Jesus Christ. That's the light bulb, right, that needs to get flipped in our hearts. Where we stand with the words and the declarations that Jesus made, which is what we're gonna unpack a little bit this morning, but where we stand with those words and declarations always comes down to matters of darkness and light. And so, like I said a minute ago, as Christians, we want to be people who are getting down to the core of the issues. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I just, I want to get down to what's really going on. I want to get underneath the hood of my life. What is happening? What is really, really happening? We want to get to the core of the issue, but it's easier said than done, right? Our spirit, the spirit that we have living to us, if we've come to Christ, we have the Holy Spirit living into us, and it gets down to the core, right? It goes underneath the surface. Our, our spirit gets to the core of the issue. Like Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2.10, this is what he says. He says, the, the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So our spirit, it gets to the core of what's really going on with all of these things that face us that are in actuality matters of life and death, right? So we have that. We have that spirit that is saying, this is what's really going on. But we also have our flesh. We have this battle between our spirit and our flesh. And the flesh resists those deeper things. Just resists it. And we know that because we are people that tend to want easy answers. We want easy answers. We want to simplify. We want black and white solutions to the complex problems of life, right? That exist in our hearts and minds. Band-Aids, we love Band-Aids. Band-Aids feel so much easier and they're so much less painful than surgery. They're so much less, you know, they're, they're so much more delicious than medicine. I don't know how else to phrase that, right? They're just easier. We're a Band-Aid society, we like that, right? Anybody can do that. And by anybody, I mean we can do that. Grab that box of Band-Aids, open it. And if you're like me, you go through three of them because you keep twisting it up and you finally get the one on your, you know, I don't know why I keep looking at my arm. I guess I'm scratching up my arm a lot. Um, but we like that because it's, it's like a form of self-medication and we can band-aid ourselves. We resist the depths. We resist complexities. I remember before Melissa and I got married, I just, I'd gotten really sick for a couple of months and um, I developed a cough that was so bad, and some of you have experienced this. I developed a cough that was so bad, I would be up for like hours every night just coughing and coughing. Um, and I was taking medication for it. So I thought, well, I'll just wait for it to pass. I don't know, you know, um, do, doing what I can. I remember my dad came to me at some point and he said, hey, no more. Um, he said, I want you to go to the doctor. I need you to get to the root of the issue, this, this isn't normal. You need to find out what's actually going on. I know you're taking medication, but so what? It's not effective, right? And sure enough, I, I, know I, had this, I had this pneumonia and it lasted for months and months. I needed a completely different medication in order to address the problem, right? Um, until I went to the doc, it was, it was just, I simplified it. I just, I just have a cough, right? It's no big deal, everybody has a cough, 
right? Everybody's coughing every day. My desire for this to just go away actually made it more complex, right? It was a matter of living and dying. I needed a doctor to tell me what was up and I needed to listen to his or her words if anything was going to change. This is what we see as the religious leaders, as the Jewish leaders, as the people who are opposed to Jesus, as they want to dispute his words, this is a little bit of what they see. Their hearts have not been illuminated to see the truth. And so they take what he says and they judge it through eyes and through a heart and through the eyes of their heart that hasn't been illuminated to see what's up and what's going on and why this is a matter of life and death for them. They're angry, they're jealous, They don't like that Jesus is coming in and challenging the system that they've created in order to control the people through religion and condemnation and rule following. Jesus comes in and he just starts flipping the switch, starts flipping the light bulb on in people's hearts, but it's not being flipped in their hearts and they are pushing back and they're pushing back hard. So what I want to do, there's a lot of verses. I want to look at three declarations that Jesus makes and see that at their core, these are matters of darkness and light. And then I want to see, I want us to look into how seeing them in this light will be what better illuminates the words of Jesus for us. There's, there's a lot of different declarations here. We're just going to lay three of them this morning. The first one is this. Jesus declares that he is the light of the world. Verse 12, right? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He addresses the Pharisees' ongoing dispute by saying those words. And here's the thing. When Jesus prefaces who he is by the words, I am, when he says, I am this particular thing, um, like when he said back in, uh, in chapter 6, verse 35, when he said, I am the bread of life, He is declaring a truth that was prophesied in Old Testament passages. Passages like Malachi chapter 4 verse 2, which says this, But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. In other words, there is a light that's coming that is going to illuminate your heart. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2. We read this one a lot at Christmas time. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That light was talking about the coming of Christ. Isaiah 49.6, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. John would later write in one of his letters, he, he said, we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So this light of Jesus that he is declaring to be the light that will expel the darkness in your life. He's saying, I'm that light. I'm that light. In, in reality, that's what y'all are having issues with. Because I'm the light that you need to expose the darkness in your life. But you won't receive that. Our eyes have to be open in order for us to be able to see the glory of the light of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus, it presupposes some things. It presupposes that you've begun to walk with a newfound illumination, a growing illumination. It's not all clear, right? But it's becoming more clear. It's becoming more clear to you this morning because you decided to come in here and hear the word of God preached. It's becoming more clear. I remember when my my older sister Kim 
she, had, she has really bad eyes, and she had really bad eyes from a younger age. And when they finally got her glasses, I remember her coming home, and she was, she was wearing her glasses, and um, I remember her just saying, I can't believe how clear everything is. I can't believe how bright everything is. She was like standing in her room looking at the wallpaper. It was the 70s, you know, she had all the wallpaper. And she was just like, I, I, I don't even know that I knew it was that color that, that we put this wallpaper up, you know. Um, everything was just vivid to her. She had been finally had some illumination in, in her life. For the Christian, illumination means finally seeing Jesus as the savior, hope, and light of the world. And letting everything in your life be changed because the light of Jesus has altered your vision, right? You guys remember the Wizard of Oz? It's like when Dorothy's house crashes into the land of Oz. What happens in that moment? Everything goes from black and white to what? To color, right? It's even more extreme than that, right? It's more like this, actually. It's more like waking up in a completely dark room and then turning on the light. Oh, that's always super enjoyable process in the morning, right? What happens at that moment, though? Well, first off, you feel like your eyes are going to explode out of their sockets, right? That's at least what I experience. It hurts. Not only that, but it's kind of foggy. Like, I'm just not, the light doesn't pop on. I'm just like, oh, there it is. There's everything. Everything's vivid, technicolor, right? It's not at all. It's kind of foggy. But then you start seeing things more clearly. Oh, there's my phone, there's my shoes, you know? There's my bed that I would like to get back into, right? You see it all right there. The Pharisees walked in darkness where it concerned Jesus because they did not believe his declaration that he was the light of the world. Spoken about in the scriptures, listen to this, that they claimed to believe and obey. This shows us that you can try to be law-abiding citizens but if you don't know Jesus, it means at best you are just a religious person, right? Which is of no use to you when you are confronted with Jesus. The core issue is always this. Do you have the light of life or do you lack the light of life? Jesus is saying you can't look for it over there. It either exists in here which then exposes everything out there, but it has to begin in here. Pharisees didn't want to receive that. The people wouldn't receive that. Declaration number two. First off, Jesus declares he is the light of the world. Secondly, he declares that his testimony is true. He says, my testimony is, is true. The Pharisees were like, look, you're just, you're just bearing witness about yourself. And your testimony is not true. And then in 14, Jesus says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I come from. I know where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. The Pharisees are saying here, what they're doing is they're saying, you can't bear witness about yourself. In other words, they were saying that simply saying you are God, which is what Jesus is saying, he's saying doesn't prove that you are. You need another witness. You need two or more witnesses in order to substantiate a claim so that people can determine whether it's true or not. And yet Jesus points out the fact that he can bear witness about his identity because of his divinity. He is God. Therefore, he can, in effect, bear witness about his identity. And also, right, 
because his father had been bearing witness about him through the signs and wonders that he performed. There was two witnesses. Jesus is saying, I don't need two witnesses because I'm God, but here you go, two witnesses, myself and the father, which should have been evident to them based on all those miracles because who else can do those miracles? It showed proof of his divinity. The irony is that the Pharisees' big thing was that, listen to this, they claimed to know the laws of God. Not only that, but they claimed to obey them flawlessly. Except they didn't believe what God had written concerning Jesus, which is what every one of God's laws was actually pointing to. So because they didn't believe Jesus, they didn't really believe God or his laws. And therefore, they could only judge Jesus according to their flesh. In, in other words, according to the eyes of their heart that hadn't been illuminated yet. That was the only way they could judge Jesus because they, they didn't believe. They didn't have hearts that had become spiritually reborn. They only thought in an earthly way about who Jesus was. Jesus says in uh, John chapter 12, we'll get there in a, in a few weeks, but he says in 1244, he says, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. He wasn't saying that you don't believe in me necessarily. He was saying that you're actually believing the word of God. These, these, these men and these women were so stuck on Jesus is not speaking the words of God that they, they weren't receiving his words. And he said, but here's the thing. If you believe me because I am the son of God, you are, that is how you are believing God's word. I wonder if we don't do that more than we think. Right? We kind of shrug. You know, we shrug at Jesus and his words. We yawn at Jesus. We're bored. We're bored with Jesus' words. We, we, might, we might not say his words are wrong. I would never say that, Ronnie. But we don't obey them as if they're true. Right? In one sense, we, we don't believe Jesus is who he claimed to be because we treat his words at best sometimes as suggestions or nice ideas or when they work, I'll give them some consideration, right? What makes a person believe another person's words? Have you ever asked that question? What makes you believe the words of another person? What, what needs to happen for that to happen? Well, usually it's a relationship, right? I have a relationship with you, therefore I trust the words that you say to me. Um, a Bible teacher named Beth Moore, many of you guys are familiar with her, she just uh, wrote a memoir, it's really good. And um, she was describing uh, recently how her and her husband started attending a new church. So they walked in, they, they live out in the country and they kind of went into this small, kind of out of the way church in the country. And uh, they, just, they just walk in. Beth Moore's a pretty popular public figure, you know. Um, so her and her husband just walk in and uh, they, you know, they have a greeting team just like we do. And, you know, um, the pastor eventually comes up and says, hey, it's, it's good to see you here. And he asks, what's your name? And she goes, Beth Moore. And the guy goes, oh, like as in like that Beth Moore? And she goes, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> but what makes a person believe somebody is who they really are, right? He, he wasn't convinced. He didn't have a picture of Beth on his like wall. So he didn't know that was Beth. He was just like, oh wow, you have the same name as Beth Moore. That's interesting, right? He didn't know her yet. 
He couldn't substantiate her words. We believe something is true when, when reason and evidence provide us with the grounding to believe that something is in fact true, but not always, right? Not always. Sometimes we believe a lie despite reason and evidence to the contrary. That was these Pharisees. That was the story of these religious leaders. It's interesting that Jesus' ongoing dispute with the Pharisees is it's over the legitimacy of his identity, who he is, and, the, and, and his mission, what he's going to do, what he's claiming he's going to go accomplish. In spite of all the signs, all the miracles he performs that gave evidence he'd been sent by God, they would not believe his testimony. He's like, what do I got to do? They wouldn't believe. They refused to believe. Their hearts were hardened kind of like Pharaoh's heart when Moses was delivering the children of Israel from Egypt. And Pharaoh would not believe Moses' words. Moses saw the signs and wonders that Moses performed, but he refused to believe. He saw it. And he said, nope. What needs to happen in order for you to believe something is true? It's called illumination. The Lord has to open up the darkness of your heart. It's almost like he needs to create a space for the light to shine through so that you go, Jesus, I believe you. I believe these words are true. I believe you are who you say and who the Father says you are. Let's, let's turn to, to uh, John chapter 10, verse 24. Look what Jesus will go on to say. We'll get here in a few weeks. John chapter 10, verse 24 Again, the conversation, it kind of never ends for Jesus with this. Never ends for us either. He says, so the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them. You got to love the patience of Jesus. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. So interesting. So interesting that Jesus declares his testimony is true. The, the testimony is there even from a legality standpoint. It's there from an experiential standpoint. People saw the miracles, but they weren't buying him. The third declaration Jesus makes is that Jesus declares that he is without sin. Look what he says in uh, verse 18 of John 8, he says, I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. And then they get snarky with him. They try to lob a bomb at him. And they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus said, you, the thing is, you, you, you know neither me nor my father. That's the problem. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And then look what we, happens when we get to verse 28. Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, he's speaking of his death now, he said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the father taught me. So you can trust my words because I am obeying the father. And this, look at what he says. He, this is like a mic drop right here in verse 29. He's, and he said, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. What Jesus is declaring right there is that he is without sin. Because I do not always do the things that please God. You do not do the things that please God always. 
So he declares in verse 29, I always please the Father. Now, every time Jesus makes claims like this, it just causes so much commotion. It also causes people to believe because it says in 30, as he was saying these things, many believed. To say that he always does the things that please the Father means that everything the Pharisees observed Jesus doing was 100%. 100% truth. It means that when they thought something was wrong about what Jesus... Listen to this really closely. It means that when they thought something was wrong about what Jesus was doing, they were the ones who were wrong. Not Jesus. Why? Because Jesus always did everything that pleases the Father. What was happening with that statement is that it called their unbelief into question. Because it meant that all the things you are questioning me on, because I am indeed the son of God, it means I'm not the one with many missteps here. You guys are the one with the missteps, right? It called their unbelief into question. And you know what, it was convenient, listen to this, it was convenient for the Pharisees to just claim that Jesus was crazy or to claim that he had a demon, which they did, because it would mean that they should rightly have nothing to do with him, right? So if you meet somebody who, who just, who's a little off, who looks like they don't have all their mental faculties, you know, you kind of want to, you know, kind of think about what they're saying. You want to rightly judge what they're saying, but this didn't apply to Jesus because everything he said was perfectly aligned with everything that they had read in scripture, right? They had nothing on him in that sense. But at the core of this, again, like we said in the beginning, was a matter of darkness and light. These men were jealous, they were fearful, they were having a power struggle with Jesus. If he was truly without sin, it means their lives would have to be completely and radically rearranged and repented of. If that was true, that was the calling of Jesus to them. And the question was, could they do that? Were they willing to do that? Did the light of Jesus illuminate them and draw them to repentance? It didn't. But what's interesting is it did for many because many believed. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Uh, was it Zacchaeus was a wee little man? Is that where we get the, yeah. We're probably not gonna sing that anytime soon on Sunday morning, I'm just throwing that out there. Um, but remember the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, the dude was a, he was a tax collector. So he was kind of an enemy of the Jewish people because tax collectors were Jewish people that worked for the Roman governments and, government and they would take, they would take taxes from uh, the Jewish people and then they would, they would actually charge them a little more so that they could keep a little more for themselves. And so they were Jewish people. They were kind of had, a, they were bending into to the, to the Romans, working for the Roman government. You can imagine they were not super popular with the Jewish people. So this guy named Zacchaeus, um, the light of Jesus comes to Zacchaeus and it transforms this brother. What happens when that happens? He radically rearranges and repents of the life he's lived up to that moment. What did he do? He did a lot. This brother gave away half his income to the poor. This brother paid back everyone he had defrauded fourfold. I'm not a math genius, but what that means is that if he cheated me out of $4, he gave me $16. One of y'all is going to come up and say, that's not what fourfold means, but I'm going to run with that. I'm going to run with that definition. Um, if we believe Jesus is without sin, it means that at our core, we have to wrestle with parts of our lives that tell a story contrary to that belief. Sometimes without realizing it, 
okay? Without realizing it, our lives are saying, who is your father, Jesus? We're questioning him as having any authority or influence or power over our lives. All of these declarations by Jesus matters of darkness and light. He was offering them the complexities of their heart, of their sin, and they were like, we're not having it. This is simple. We don't believe who you are, right? And you know, we read about the Pharisees, this, this sect of religious leaders 2,000 years ago. It can feel incredibly disconnected from our lives, right? It can feel incredibly detached. We think, okay, I got it, Ronnie. You've said it 96 times so far this morning. Jesus is the light. His words are true. He was without sin, and yet all that can feel impractical. It can even feel a little religious to us in some ways, or not very relevant to our lives. We can eventually get to a place and wonder whether we even really believe any of this, right? Let me make three observations here to, to close out our time. The first one is this. If Jesus is the light of the world, if he really is the light of the world, then it means there is a darkness that exists in the world. And to know what the darkness even is, you need the light of Jesus. To not live in darkness but in the light of life means you need to know where the darkness exists at your core and ask Jesus to illuminate it. And you know what? When you come to salvation, when Jesus has saved you because you have confessed your sins and believed the gospel, you are given illumination. That is when that illumination comes in. But you know what? That illumination is ongoing. You need to continue to be illuminated. That's why you connect with Christian community at a church, right? That's why you hear the gospel preached. That's why you open God's word. That's why you pray. Because you need the light of life to continue to grow your life. If Jesus is the light of the world, it means there is a darkness that you all need to grapple with. And some of the complexities that it has brought and surfaced in your life. Secondly, if Jesus' testimony or his words, if his words are true, then it means there are other words in the world and in your heart that are false. And until you understand the truth of Jesus' words on this baseline level that he is presenting to the Pharisees, you are susceptible to being deceived by false words. The false words that are out there, more specifically, the false words that are already inside of you. Your life will be characterized by believing untruths, right? You will be more pragmatic is what that means. Hey, if it works, I just do it. Doesn't matter if it has a level of holiness, doesn't matter if it has a level of integrity, it works. So that's what I do. Your life will be characterized by believing and acting out untruths. You'll be more pragmatic. You'll be more concerned with your rights. I can do this. Therefore, I'm going to do this. Therefore, I should do this. You will be someone with less integrity who is just simply looking at what they can get away with rather than what is true. You'll be someone who simply decides what's true based on your Opinion of truth. 
Remember Pontius Pilate at the time of Jesus' death, Jesus was speaking and communicating the words of truth to him. And he asked a really good question. He said, what is truth? Let's get all philosophical with Jesus. What is truth? Jesus is like, you're looking at him. You're looking at truth. Where do we get our truth? Do we just conjure up truth? Do we grab it from here, there, and everywhere and go, okay, I got my truth. Well, great. But the Bible tells us there's a source. There's a source that keeps you on a path that's going to lead to wisdom and flourishing in your life. And it's not just by grabbing it in all these various places, various people, and then sort of constructing your own truth grid. It's the results are disastrous for us when we do that. Or you might be at the other end of the pole, right? Which is you keep all the rules. Now, this is truth. You keep all the rules to the point that you're actually invalidating the words of Jesus because your heart is just is just, uh, just submerged in legalism. I'm keeping all the laws. I do know the law, Ronnie. I keep the laws. I know the truth. I keep the truth. But your heart has not been met and been tempered and been beautified by the grace of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, you ain't gonna keep all those rules. And what happens the minute you break one of them, like today, because that's when it's gonna happen. If Jesus' testimony is true, it means there are other words in the world and in your heart that are false. You need to grapple with what those are and the complexities of those are based on the truth of of what Jesus' words are. And it's 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 a hard grapple. It's also a grapple that brings you life and grace and peace. Thirdly, if Jesus is without sin because he always pleases the Father, then it means everything Jesus ever said or did has to be taken 100% exactly to be what you need for your life to experience the abundance that Jesus offers when you obey him. If he truly has the words of life like Peter affirmed to him that time, when Jesus said, you guys all gonna bail on me? What did Peter say? What do you mean? Where are we gonna go? You have the words of life. Like what other words do we have that are gonna cause us to move us into another path of life that's gonna be better than being with you? I don't know if Peter was just being sort of like logical right there or if he was being like desperate, like no, we cannot do, like there is no other words that are gonna draw us to truth in life but your word, like I don't know, I don't know the tone. But we have to take his words as being 100% true. The one who created life, lived a perfect life, who is the embodiment of life, he gets to declare what the matters of darkness in life actually are. He gets to do that. And praise God that he gets to do that. Because I don't know. I know what I want to be the important matters of my life. And a lot of times they're based on faulty assumptions. They're based on a high level in myself of wanting to be in the most comfortable place in life. And all of that just turns into self-deception if I'm not careful, right? Because it means that I'm saying, I know what you told me, Jesus, about how to come to you 
when I'm weary and I'm heavy laden and to receive your words and to find that rest. But you know what? I'm just going to do, give me a minute, but I'm going to do this first. And there's that absence of rest, that absence of peace. So here's my question for you. I have a, I have a couple of questions. What is obscuring Jesus in your life right now? What's obscuring Jesus in your life? What is making him and his words seem untrue, unimportant, unloving, undesirable, unworthy? You can just keep going down, down the list with that. To be someone who is living and growing with the light of life at their core is nothing less than seeing everything in your life as a matter of darkness and light and then responding to that by getting close to Jesus in all matters of life. It's pressing in. Jesus, what do you have to say to me that I need deeper and fuller and ongoing illumination so that I can get to the core of some of my of some of my pain, so I can get to the core of some of my disappointment, so I can get to the core of some of my anger, so I can get get to the core of some of my lust, so I can get to the core of these things that are actually a form of unbelief when I'm going everywhere else but you to find the answers, get the satisfaction, and quench the thirst of which those things are surfacing. And sometimes we need help to do that. Sometimes we need to speak to another friend, a trusted individual in the congregation. Sometimes we need to see a counselor or a therapist. We need to avail ourselves of the means in which God can help us figure out what these core matters of life and death are in our lives. Because God would have us live life more abundantly, even within the pain and the struggles, and the things that y'all are going to face that you are facing today. We have the testimony of Jesus, a man who always pleased the Father, a man who said, those who follow me, they will not walk in darkness, but they will have the light of life.